welcome to Your Future Starts Now, the go-to podcast for extraordinary women who are ready to step into their next chapter with authentic confidence. I'm your host, Gia Lakwa, empowerment coach, motivational speaker, children's book author, and girl mom. Whether you're a corporate powerhouse or an entrepreneur, this show is designed for you. Your Future Starts Now is more than just a podcast. It's a movement, a movement towards rewriting the rules of success for high-achieving women. Are you ready to get unstuck and step into your next chapter? If so, you're exactly where you need to be. Your future starts now. Welcome to Your Future Starts Now. I'm your host, Gia Lakwa. Thanks for joining us today. I am thrilled to welcome the incredibly talented Alice Chan to the show. Alice is a speaker, writer, producer, and stand-up comedian with an international presence. Her comedy has graced renowned venues such as The Stand, New York Comedy Club, The Ice House Comedy Club, Laugh Boston, as well as Yuck Yucks in Canada, among others. She was a speaker at renowned women conferences such as ALT Summit and Mom 2.0, which brings together 12,000 women combined. Alice placed finalist at the esteemed Boston Comedy Festival in May 2023 and has been featured in the New York Comedy Festival. Alice is also the creative force behind MomCom NYC, a parenting platform boasting an impressive following of almost 200,000 devoted fans. Vogue even took note of her work, recognizing MomCom NYC as the top six funniest parenting Instagram accounts. Her comedic sketches have found a home on platforms like Scary Mommy, Pure Wow, and Today Parents, showcasing her knack for finding humor in the everyday chaos of parenthood. Alice's talents extend beyond the stage and screen. She's been featured on prominent media outlets, including New York Live, ABC, Hulu, The Drew Barrymore Show, The Tamron Hall Show, and CTV Radio, and landing the cover of New York Family Magazine. Wow, that was a mouthful. Alice, it is such an honor to have you join us. Welcome to the show. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. I would have been happy if you could have just said one line. (laughs) (laughs) Next time. (laughs) Did I write this? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Next time I'll use the one-liner. So today we are talking about the hardest job in the world, motherhood. It is the hardest. It is the hardest. Before we dive into that, Alice, tell our listeners a little bit about how did you start in comedy? Ooh, that can take a while. I'll give you a short answer. Um, I think I found humor when I was quite young because it was a way to survive elementary school. And my school was predominantly white. And they were like, couple Asian kids like me, my sister, and some other kid. And I remember that I was called all sorts of names and was really shy. And I remember reading a book on how to make friends. And one of the advice was to be funny. Mm. So my first try was to study jokes and I would rehearse these jokes and then I would retell them. And I think what happened when I retold those jokes was a sense of validation where people were laughing with me and not teasing me or laughing at me. And I felt empowered. And I think that was maybe the beginning of maybe my passion for stand-up comedy, but I didn't know that yet. That was when I was like nine or 10 years old. And I always remembered like, oh, humor can protect me. It's a great 
defense mechanism when someone's feeling down or there's an uncomfortable silence or someone's going through some pain i can always find humor to lighten up the situation and i think that kind of just came naturally to me and not until i moved to new york when i was in my late 20s i started to take improv classes acting classes and that's when i realized stand up comedy was for me and when i started to perform in stage on stages i felt the same sense of validation and empowerment and also it felt to me very therapeutic where mm-hmm. i could stand there by myself no one interrupting and really just telling my thoughts and maybe exaggerating it's kind of like you know you and i were talking about when we're frustrated or angry we could take it out at the gym or punching bag right <laughs> and my way is to really joke about the situation find laughter and humor about a situation that got me really stressed out and or annoyed you know most of the time it's either my husband my family you know making making me irked and i find humor through those situations which and then lightens everything up and i'm like you know what that situation wasn't that bad it was just really me being overly sensitive or me just like being triggered at the wrong time um so i guess that's that's a long that is a long answer to your question <laughs> that's incredible and it's a good point because you know it's a way to get through the hard times and the challenges and the pain, right? And so to to cope and maneuver through, and I, I know I'm not alone when I say that, you know, when I tend to be nervous or worried or upset, you know, humor usually lightens the load, right? And it's usually self-deprecating humor, but it's okay, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the times what my comedy revolves is self-deprecating humor. And, you know, in in, in comedy, you number one rule is never punch down. Uh, people like when you self-deprecate. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feel better about themselves, and and I think it's it's humility as well. Staying yeah. humble and uh, that that really serves a lot when you're trying to be funny. Yeah, absolutely. And being able to make fun of yourself is is a key skill. But I have to say, some of my favorite clips that you do are when you dress up as your husband or the dad in the family. Those are like, those are on the top of my list. Yeah, it's funny because you can often tell when I do it. Sometimes I'll I'll do like, you know, two, three sketches in a month that I'm dressed up as my husband. That's when you know that he actually left the house. only do that when he's not around when he's not here yeah yeah well when he's at home you'll see less of that does so he, he see the videos afterwards though he he doesn't really follow me on Instagram. <laughs> he's not a social media person which is good um but he he said his favorite clips are when i dress up as him amazing <laughs> so it'll be our little secret we won't right, yeah <laughs> talk to us a little bit about so you just stand up on stage but you have a huge following on social media. Talk to us a little bit about the difference between doing comedy in person on stage versus on social media. Wow, huge difference. Um, you know, Instagram has certain regulations and rules that you cannot cross over. And there's a lot of technical logistics that you have to keep in mind. Reels um, need to be under 30 seconds for for the best engagement because people have less attention span when they're scrolling on their phone. There's a lot of com- competition 
it's very easy for anyone to upload their sketches, videos, memes online. So you have a lot more com competition. Whereas on the stage, you're really on your own. And it's all really bare bones. And it's when my true personality comes out and I don't have to dress up as a character. And I do get a little more raw, vulnerable, and edgy. And of course, sometimes I have some bad words. I, I <laughs> to say, um, but I can get I can get really a little more intimate and much more of a connector. That that type of comedy on stage is my favorite because mm -hmm. I can connect with the audience and I take them for a ride. And usually, if a show is good, it's generally due to the audience. The feedback that I get from the audience makes me a better performer. If I don't get any feedback from the audience, it's going to fall flat. And I've had flat performances where people didn't really resonate with my jokes and that's okay. Um, and then there, there was, you know, there were some shows that were 99% were moms. So they were getting my jokes and, and it was just like a party. It was just like a party with a hundred women in my living room. And so I think the live performance is really when you really get to connect human to human yeah. social media, there's still a big barrier. Sure. You're still trying to play with algorithms. You're playing to Instagram's rules and you have to, parameters. You can't go outside of that. If mm -hmm. you want engagement, mm -hmm. so those are the differences. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, the reality is that good moms say bad words sometimes. So yes, <laughs> I know. And some moms are like, I, I'm going to follow you. You swear to much you know and i'm like okay then you're not my people yes exactly sometimes you just gotta let it out <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about how do you create comedy when you're not in the right frame of mind right because we're not always happy we're not always jovial we're not always in that state of mind talk to us a little bit about that i love that question because you're right you're not happy every day and in life, there is joy and pain. To know pain, you know joy and vice versa. And you can't always time around those those feelings. And there was, uh, 2023 was really hard for me because it was my first time <clears throat> dealing with uh, caring for my elderly parents. Mm -hmm. And I live in New York and they live in a different country. They live in Canada on the opposite coast in Vancouver, which is on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So traveling to see them was one feat that I had to handle, leaving my kids behind, which they still needed me physically, like they're still young. And so being in that sandwich generation, uh, taking care of my elderly parents and also being a parent to young kids was really hard for me. And then my dad being really sick, his health deteriorating. It was just like no time to make jokes. Like how... And I felt guilty. I'm like, okay, I would visit my dad because he wasn't feeling well or he was at the hospital, but I would also take that opportunity to, to do a show. And I remember there was one incident where I had to take my kids. It's like parenting on almost, um, you have to wear that hat. I remember I promised my kids to take them to, uh, this amusement park and they were so looking forward to it. Right before we got in the car, we got a call from my dad's retirement home that he had fallen and the ambulance was coming. Now I could have canceled with my kids and my mom's like, don't cancel. We'll handle it. And I'm like, 
Yeah, but my dad like just fell. Like, I how can I just take my kids to the amusement park? But it's also unfair to my kids. And then I remember we drove by his retirement home. I saw him. It was on the way, luckily, and he was fine. But he was taken to the hospital. But I had to be a mom at that time. I can't. It's not fair to take that away from my kids. And at that in that evening, after I became you know, after I parented and my kids were with my mom at 6 p.m., I was off to my show and I was really like, how am I cracking jokes? Like, I'm worried about my dad, but you wear that hat. Like, that's my job. People, people go to work when things are crappy for them. You know, you, you're a lawyer, you go to the court and you finish your case. If you're an accountant or a scientist, you have a job. If you're a teacher, you still have to teach. So that's how I do it. Um, it is tough, but I think um, it's weird for me because I'm like, okay, I'm making people laugh. So people don't equate that. They're like, okay, so that means you're happy. No, you can make people laugh while you're hurting inside. Mm -hmm. It's part of a job. Mm -hmm. so I look at it as part of a job and I just switch gears. And sometimes you can, if you do it delicately enough, you can interweave grief with humor and that's mm -hmm. what i'm trying to do this year and it's a it's a very intense exercise but i think if you do it well it can be very impactful because grief is part of life and i think um why not talk about grief but also find humor and levity when you do talk about it yeah yeah so powerful taking a taking a really heavy topic and making a little bit lighter and you know grief of course when we think of traditional grief yes it is in the sense of losing somebody um it could also be in in losing something yeah right a loss of something in our lives especially if you're healing at a point in your life when you're going through healing and let's say grieving a childhood or mm -hmm. you know something else so i think it, it can relate to so many people on so many levels and i yeah. think Truly. Yeah, you mentioned that because, um, yeah, grieving your childhood when you're, I remember turning 13 and I was like, I, I'm not a child anymore. I know it's really sad or even like turning into a mother yeah, and losing yeah. yourself before you're a mother. You're a totally different person now. You are a mother now. So you have to grieve that part of yourself too. So definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And just to, to build on that, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with that? identity shift, right? From being, I'm an individual or I'm a spouse to I'm now also a mother and I have a career. You want to talk a little bit about that, that experience? Yeah, for you? Yeah. I remember um, when I first became a, a mom, I have two kids on so my first child and I thought I had to be with my kid all the time, mm -hmm. be a good mom. I have to be perfect mom. So we went to baby yoga classes, music classes, sing-along classes, and I try to meet other moms. And I felt, I felt like there was something missing. And so I started to, and and I always thought as my, I, I always thought to myself, I, I'm a creative, I'm an artist. I have to do creative stuff. I start going to getting into photography, uh, getting back into graphic design, freelance work, but none of it really cured this emptiness, this void I felt until my second child. 
And I remember one night there was a comedy show that was happening across the street. We were living in the studio, so it was very easy to to leave the house and mm-hmm. and attend a comedy show at a bar. It was free. It was an all women's lineup, which was what drew me in. And I remember watching the whole show, and I think feelings resurfaced, and I was like, I think I need to get back into comedy because I took a three year hiatus. And then that's when I started to turn that into something. And I'm like, I can blend. I can still be a mother and also a comedian and find a way to blend it together. And that's when I started my Instagram account. And I just started writing jokes about parenthood. I no longer can talk about my ex-boyfriend living single in the city and cats. It's a, it's a totally different topic now. And I think that's where I found my community and people embraced it and resonated with my jokes. I'm like, okay, there's something here. People do want to hear funny stories about parenthood. And I didn't know that there was such a demand for that. Yeah. And, and, and obviously the work that you do, the comedy is so relatable, right? Which is why I think people gravitate to, towards it. And it is, you know, taking those pain points that we all experience and calling them out. Right? Because we're too busy to really think and reflect and talk about it. And so we just keep going. But like the fact, right, that you're able to call it out and add a little levity to the situation, I think is is brilliant. So I I also love the fact that you talked about, you know, this intuition or this inner calling that you had when you went to this comedy club and said, you know, Mm -hmm. this is really something I want to continue to do and build upon. And you followed that, right? Because I think a lot of women get stuck in a position where either they stopped working and they're staying at home, but they have, feel called to go back to work or, you know, want to pivot in their career, but they're too afraid. Um, and so I love the fact that you were able to identify that feeling that was coming up for you and really explore it and follow it. Yeah. And it took a long time because I wish I had understood that. Like, and, and I think if I talked to a coach or uh, like a mother um, who could have guided me, it would have taken me less than three years, but it waited three years and, and never knew what was missing. And uh, that's why I think it's so important. And I didn't go back to work and that was a huge identity shift too, because I'm like, Oh, I thought it would be easy to stay home with a kid. And, you know, week after that, I was like, this is not easy at all, (laughs) (laughs) but I already made this commitment. I quit my job, not going back to the bank. Yes. Absolutely. No, that makes so much sense. And I I love how you talked about being pulled in different directions with the different roles and the different hats that we wear, right? And so you talked about the sandwich generation earlier and caring for aging parents. So how can we be, you know, a good daughter and still be a good mother and Mm. still be a good spouse and still be a good friend and kick ass in our career? Yeah. And I think we all feel that tension and that pull. Any Mm. advice that you have for those? I, you, you just kind of just described my whole uh, 2023. I was pulled in so many directions and I always tried to be the best mom. Okay. When I'm with my kids, I'm going to be smiling, happy, patient. Mm -hmm. Not all the time. No, I yelled. I screamed. I um, didn't want to play with them. Sometimes I gave them the iPad a lot of times, which Mm -hmm. saved me. Mm -hmm. My relationship with my husband, you know, thank God he's understanding and, and, a great communicator and it, and he was very patient with me that that took um you know that took a back seat our relationship because i was just so focused on my dad and my mom and i was like i have to be a good daughter i have to do everything i have to help them 
I got to be proactive. And I think I put that as top priority. And um, I, and then my, then, and maybe my kids in comedy. And then my husband was probably last. He was on the, he still made the list. He was, he's did, he did. He did. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's a great point. I think we, we all feel those tensions of wanting to be perfect in every facet of our lives. And it is literally impossible, right? We can't physically be in two places at once. We can't be perfect in everything that we're doing. And, you know, I think it is embracing the messiness. It's embracing the imperfection. It's allowing ourselves to let a ball drop. It's, you know, and recognizing that it's temporary. It doesn't have to be permanent, right? And and giving ourselves grace, (laughs) I think, is so important because we don't do it enough. And, um, you know, recognizing when are those moments where we have to give ourselves grace and take a step back and say, it's okay, right? That I'm not at my hundred percent in all facets of my life in this moment. And to your point, it's prioritizing. I love how, you know, you said, okay, these are my priorities and this is where I'm going to focus my energy now. Not because somebody told me I should, or somebody told me I have to, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because it's what I want to do. And I think that's the most important part is questioning the have tos and the shoulds and saying, Am I doing this because I feel like I I should be doing it? I have to be doing it? Or is it because this is where I feel called to put my energy? Right. And that's something I struggled with because as a middle child, you know, we come with all these other. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of baggage. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, in a traumatic childhood. So combine that with being in an Asian, you know, culture. Sure. uh, Second generation. My parents are immigrants. So. I had a lot of like a a good daughter would do this uh, respect your elderly. We've always thought that. So I don't know how much of that was ingrained, but I like what you were saying about (laughs) what's important at that moment and temporary. And that was temporary. Uh, I thought, okay, I can do this if, because my kids are older and they're self-sufficient at ages six and nine. They were a lot more self-sufficient than toddler years. Okay. So I can give them more screen time. I'm going to step back and probably not be able to take them to the library or to the park, you know, or take them to on a trip. Um, you know, with my husband, we, okay, we had to really, we didn't do a lot of date nights and I'm like, okay, maybe have more intimate conversations with him, like spend one-on-one time talking to him. And really all my, all that other energy was focused on my parents. But now I'm back and I'm like, um, I was very happy with how I handled with my parents. I had no regrets. Every trip that I flew in to see them, I spent a good amount of time. I took my dad to the casino. I'm so happy that I have no regrets. And I think when you are when you're encountering so many things and you're so many pulls, people need you at all directions. You have to choose something that you know you're not going to regret, have any regret. Mm-hmm. And and I'm at peace with that. And I and I have no regrets. And now I can fully focus on my kids. Like this year, I want it to be a very good balance between my comedy, my kids, and my my husband. You know, he's. Made it to the top three now. From top. nice, 
Congratulations to him. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great point to step back and be able to prioritize and reprioritize based on where you are at that time and giving ourselves that grace and flexibility, you know, and, and it is the hardest job in the world, right? Motherhood, fatherhood, and, and our job is to raise these tiny humans into really good, big humans. (laughs) And, you know, of course it's the most joyful and it's the most rewarding job in the world, but it's also the most challenging and the most trying at times, right? And I think it also forces us, I talk to a lot of women about the transformation they go through, not just becoming a mom and, and the identity shift, but also looking inward at parts of themselves that maybe they didn't know existed. Yeah. Or parts of themselves that perhaps they didn't see or want to see. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about from your experience, like a lot of women, I think, are in a place where at some point they they start a bit of a healing journey as they um, as the kids start to grow. And as they start to learn more about their kids, they start to learn more about themselves. Did you have any similar experiences? Um, yeah, I feel like with my kids, I, I'm, I kind of tap into my childhood mm-hmm. and it become that, uh, five to nine year old Alice again. Mm-hmm. And that really is me. I think, I think I'm just like a big kid and I'll <laughs> never grow up. I don't want to be an adult, you know? And I think they taught me a lot about patience and how to see things differently Yeah, and how to like, just be chill, you know? And even with my dad being gone, ironically, because he's gone, I've learned so much about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. yeah. I think through the different transitions in life, right. Yeah. And, and as difficult and sad as they might be, there's also opportunity. Right. Oh, right. So beautifully to go, yeah. to go through those changes and transformations. Yeah. So I think it's a really great lesson. I'm curious, how do you think we, cause life is heavy, mm-hmm. right? Life is heavy today. And for women and moms, life is even heavier. Yeah. I would love to know from your perspective, how can we infuse more joy and laughter into parenting? I think to be a kid, and nothing can really enforce and remind you to get back into that silly carefree world than to just look at your kids yes and be present with your kids if your kids are on the grass doing somersaults be that with them go there watch them do it try it if they're building a lego watch them follow their lead and don't ask questions just follow their lead and and you can get back into it. I think we all have a childlike, uh, we have our inner child here. Mm-hmm. We're so afraid of showing that. Yeah. When we have our guard up, we have to be a proper adult. And what's what's the better way to be silly and act carefree than to have kids and just be like that with them? Yeah. Absolutely. In the world. Yeah. Yeah. Because all the layers of stress and responsibility, like we lose touch with that inner child mm-hmm. and being carefree. Right. So I love, you know, my kids remind me, I think, strengthen my creativity muscle. Right. And it, it's fun to see the world through their eyes and not my jaded eyes. <laughs> and, oh right. You know, I, so I've written three children's books. And the first one that I wrote was actually based on a story that 
my older daughter came home and told me about a rainbow one day and a discussion she had with her friend. And I'm like, nope, this is an important lesson that needs to be told. And so, you know, that's how I created my story. Now, I had never planned to write children's books. It just sort of organically came oh. to be. Like I had worked in corporate for 20 years and someone I had worked with for maybe 10 of those years said to me, I didn't know you wanted to write children's books. And I said, you know what? I didn't either. <laughs> but you. Yeah, it just came to me and I sort of gave myself that creative freedom. So I love what you're saying about connecting with them. And um, I have, you know, someone is um, a friend of mine is a behavioral analyst and I had her on the show and she said the way you earn respect with your kids is through play. Right. And, and I'm assuming humor is an extension of that, right? Like being able to connect with kids and adults on that level, I think can be super, super powerful. We talk a lot about redefining success on this podcast. So I would love to know from your perspective, how do you define success today? And how has that definition evolved for you over time? Oh my gosh, such a great question. And I, I liked how you, you did uh, say the word evolve because it has changed. And, it, you know, in my early teen, you know, teen to twenties, you're like, success is money and yeah. fame. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought that all the way into my thirties and thirties was just like money, like mm -hmm. big house, big car, mm -hmm. good looking husband, mm -hmm. um, you know, dog with kids and picket fence. Like yeah. you have all those images. And now I have, okay, I have a kids. I have the dog. I have a good looking husband. And it's not about fame and money. I think finances have something to do with it because you don't want to struggle with basic needs. Sure. Like you need to have a house and a car where we live. And I think for me is balancing your passion. You can do what you love as your career and also be with your family at the same time. Like my dream is to travel the world to do a comedy tour, but with my family mm -hmm. and to be able to tell my husband, you don't have to work another day. Like that's my dream. I don't know if that will happen, but I think balancing being with your family and doing what you love. Yes. Uh, and they don't take away from each other. No, they complement each other. Yeah. Right, right. I then love that. It builds each other up. Holistic success. I yeah. love that. I love that concept. It's so beautiful. And it's, it's, I think, very relatable. People can relate to this checklist of life that we are sort of conditioned to believe we have to follow, right? Mm -hmm. As high achieving women, it's we have to get a job and we have to get the house and we have to have the kids and we get married, have kids, <laughs> you oh. know, the white picket fence and all of that. And then a lot of women realize at that point, they're hustling and bustling and they've checked all these boxes and they're like, but I'm not happy. Exactly. I'm not fulfilled. Right. But now what, yeah. you know, what's on the other side of that is scary. And, and it's, there's a lot of fear there of the unknown. And so I think it's great when you can step back and really identify what success means to you and mm -hmm. what do you need to do to get there? So super yeah. powerful. Yeah. What's one thing you want our listeners to walk away with after this episode? What do you want them to consider doing differently or changing after hearing today's episode? I love that. I think to be able to find laughter each day, uh, whether you're in pain or grieving, realize that pain comes with 
joy and that you can find joy in little things, even at the darkest times, because that's what's going to lift you out of that. Absolutely. Laughter really is the best medicine, right? (laughs) It really is. It really is. Your body doesn't know the difference between you laughing at a joke or being actually really happy. You can mm-hmm. your body into that. And then mm-hmm. when you're actually laughing, it scientifically as has proven your immune system is boosted. Isn't that incredible? Why not? Yeah, I know. When I was reading all this stuff, I'm like, yeah, very underrated laughter. Very underrated. It's, it's free sometimes. And then you also have no side effects. Right. <laughs> right. Like it's it, free. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, there's the psychological component, right? But now they are, research is starting to prove that there are physiological benefits right. with the endorphins as well, yeah. which is incredible. It, it's supposed to, supposedly, uh, it makes whatever, if you're, you're going through pain, like physical pain, if you're, if you have just left an hour, your pain is much less severe. So, I mean, so many benefits. Absolutely. And- I, and be silly. Don't like, just let your guard down. Yeah. No one's judging you. Yeah. And if they are, they're not your people. No. <laughs> and we're, we're our own worst critic, right? Most people are so concerned about themselves, too busy to be concerned about you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, like me, I went to like, I was going to go to a dance class and I was talking to my friend. I'm like, oh, I, I don't know if I want to, I'm going to feel so silly. And, they're, and she's like, no one's looking at you, Alice. Yeah. They're all looking at their own moves. Exactly. In the mirror. Exactly. Same with life. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Alice, this is amazing. This has been wonderful speaking with you. Where can our listeners connect with you and learn more about your upcoming shows? Um, I'm always active on Instagram, momcomnyc, or on my website, momcom.co. I always have my live shows posted. So hopefully I'll see some of you guys at my live shows. Absolutely. Check out Alice's Instagram account and her list of upcoming shows and get your tickets before they sell out. And of course, you can visit my website at gialacqua.com. Reach out on Instagram at gialacqua. On the homepage of my website, you can download your complimentary copy of From Chaos to Clarity, a 30-day journal for self-discovery and healing. This is Gia signing off with gratitude for your time and energy. Our mic drops, but the movement continues. Until next time, your next chapter is waiting. Take care. That concludes another empowering episode of Your Future Starts Now. Before we wrap up, I want to thank this incredible community of high-achieving women. Your energy, resilience, and commitment to growth are the driving force behind what we do. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Your feedback fuels our mission to empower high-achieving women just like you. And of course, share Your Future Starts Now with the extraordinary women in your life who are also on a journey of healing and empowerment. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts, let us know what topics you'd like to explore in future episodes. Stay connected on Instagram at Gia Lacqua. I encourage you to carry the energy of this conversation into your day and keep on supporting the incredible women around you. Until next time, remember, your next chapter is waiting. Mm-hmm.